0: 1 Samuel chapter 1, we started this new series called Kings last week with a little bit of a bonus, uh, you know, prelude, if you will, uh, of getting into this series. We looked at uh, King Herod and the story there of uh, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus there in Egypt and that once the king died, they were able to move uh, forward. And now here we start this uh, chapter here, 1 Samuel chapter 1, new series as we continue on in the book Uh, here each week, we'll be talking about these kings or even people that might be on the sidelines that weren't necessarily kings themselves, okay? But we're in this sort of uh, season, if you will, of the history of Israel where they start to bring kings into the equation, and it starts by introducing us to the prophet Samuel. And um, we're going to read a little bit about his life and his mother's life and his dad's life, and we're going to walk through that here today with this message that's entitled, Go in Peace. And so before we begin and read here from uh, verse 1, I want to pray, just asking the Lord to bless our time in the Word together. So would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, I thank you so much for this time here in the Word, and I ask for your blessing and guidance and the things you've placed upon my heart to share, I pray that they would uh, flow from me with an anointing and with grace. And I just ask, Lord, for your help. Use me. Use me to, to speak what it is you desire for us to hear. And, Lord, I pray for a blessing upon our children's ministry right now as they are uh, digging into the Word and hearing about you and, and the many stories of Scripture. I pray, Lord, that you would grow their faith. Bless those who are leading. We thank you for their commitment. And I just pray, Lord, for a a sweet spirit in that place as you're blessing them. And we thank you now. Guide us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 1 here, starting in verse 1. There was a certain man from Ramathium, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zeph, and Ephraimite. Whew! Let's just kind of... You had to read that one this week, Paul. How did I do there? Okay. Poor guy. I'll read for you, Russ, and then I gave you that, right? Now, he had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other one was Panina. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Now, year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. And whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah... He gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Now, her rival was Peninnah. This went on year after year, and whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. And her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. And in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Now that's a big deal because it's a Nazarite vow. As far as not shaving the head. And a Nazarite vow was something that was for a season of time. And she's saying to the Lord, I'll give him to you for his whole life. As she's making this commitment to the Lord in prayer. Now verse 12 says, She kept on praying to the Lord and Eli observed her mouth. And Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And Eli thought she was drunk. And he said to her, "'How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine.' "'Well, not so, my lord,' Hannah replied. "'I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief.' And Eli answered, "'Go in peace.'" And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And she said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Now early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Now Akana made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, "'Because I asked the Lord for him.'" Now when her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, "'After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always.'" "'Do what seems best to you,' her husband Elkanah told her. "'Stay here until you have weaned him.'" "'Only may the Lord make, his good, make good his word.' "'So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son "'until she had weaned him. "'And after he was weaned, she took the boy with her, "'young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, "'an epaph of flour and a skin of wine, "'and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. "'When the bull had been sacrificed, "'they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, "'Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live,' I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. There's a lot of things to walk through here in this passage, a lot going on. I'm I'm sectioning it out, actually, into three parts here. And the first is uh, verses 1 through 8. We kind of get the family introduction here, a unique blend here of two wives, which was customary of that time, but not approved, if you will. This is not God's desire that you have a bunch of wives, okay? That's not this kind of church, and uh, but that is a part of their story and their lives. So uh, Elkanah marries Hannah and I think you can assume that since they weren't able to have kids and he wanted kids, he then takes another wife, Panina, and then is starting to have kids with her. And so imagine playing second fiddle, Panina. You know, you're the second wife. You weren't the first choice, you were the second choice. How would you feel about Hannah? Okay, Hannah's not able to have kids, and so there's almost like this little tension that we were able to witness every time they would go uh, for these sacrifices up to Shiloh, there's a provoking that's going on, almost a mockery that Panina was directing toward Hannah. And this would weigh on Hannah. This was heavy upon her heart. As we walk through this in verse 3, it says year after year they would go up and do this. And it was customary for Israelite men to attend three annual festivals at the central sanctuary, the location in which they would worship. And so this was a standard thing. They would do this. And every time they would go, there's provoking that would take place. And Elkanah would bring a sacrifice, and this was a peace offering. And he would bring back some of the leftovers from this peace offering, and he would give it to them. Some to Panina and some to Hannah. And what's interesting, he says, enough for Panina and all her children, and then a double portion to Hannah, who had no children. And it's clear that he was still uh, in love with Hannah, still my first choice. And you can see how that's even provoking some things there in Panina to start taking shots. In verse 6, I think this is interesting, and I want to point this out. Okay? Hannah was not getting pregnant because verse 6 tells us that the Lord had closed her womb. The Lord was the one who did this, not Satan. It was not by an accident or nature. And I want us to understand that sometimes the Lord allows things to happen in our life and even can direct things to happen in our life by His own sovereign hand. And here's why because he is up to something that has a great purpose. He's up to something. You know, there's other ladies in the Bible where they struggled with being able to have children, and then God would show up, and they started having children. Here's a list of some of them. The baby miracles that have taken place, and not baby miracles in size, but the fact that they're literal babies. That are taking place. Sarah giving birth to Isaac, and Rebekah giving birth to Esau and Jacob, and Rachel giving birth to Joseph and Benjamin, and even Manoah's wife giving birth to the judge Samson. And then you see, too, in the New Testament, Elizabeth giving birth to John the Baptist, the one who would come and he would proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is near and that Christ was on his way telling people to repent. And so you look at all of these children and you think, wow, these are individuals that had incredible purpose in their life. And the timing of when they came had great purpose. And so you see how God's sovereign hand is orchestrating in people's lives, even when maybe the timing isn't what they're wanting as they're praying through things and they're asking and it's not happening But the Lord brings it forth in His due time. And they come on the scene, and they have great purpose. So Penina is provoking Hannah, and that word provoking actually means she thundered against Hannah, thundered. I don't know if you like storms, you know, I know we had one in December, but typically they're in a different season, Right? But the thunder, how many of you kind of like hearing that and just they're like, wow, right? Thundered, okay. She was not just like shooting little things at Hannah in kind of a sarcastic manner. She was thundering against her. Every year they'd go up there. She had it out for her. And this begins to weigh on Hannah. And it says that she ended up getting to the point where she's weeping and she wouldn't even eat. And then, her knight in shining armor in verse 8, Elkanah shows up. And the New Living Translation says, why are you crying, Hannah? You have me. Now, men, we know that we at times can say the wrong things. (laughs) Just because it's in Scripture doesn't mean it was the right thing to say, right? (laughs) Elkanah is proof that men can have a hard time entering into the emotional weight of a situation. We're wired a bit different. And maybe sometimes we must confess we're a bit clueless. And he says, you have me. Isn't that better than ten sons? And I mean, even as a man, you're like, that was the wrong thing to say, man. That was the wrong thing to say. You know, Hannah's name means woman of grace. And given her circumstances and the provoking, the opposition from Panina. And given the comment there by her husband just not getting it, not entering in to the emotional weight and the things that she's carrying, she was still graceful about it. You know, there's not a, uh, a verse 9 where it says she went off and slapped him across the face. And I think there's an example here that when we walk through difficult things, you and I, we can be people of grace. You know, oftentimes people misunderstand maybe what we're walking through or what we're going through. And so then things can get said and we can either choose to let that just continue to snowball us or we can say, you know what, I'm going to have a little grace here. They don't fully understand what I'm walking through and so we respond with grace. But there was still a very deep anguish in her heart. Now if we transition to where she goes to this tabernacle at Shiloh, I want to point out a few verses here as we walk through this. You can see the weight that is on her and her desire for a child, and she brings this to the tabernacle. Verse 10, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Verse 15, she says, I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. She says that to Eli when he begins to question her state regarding the the alcohol, and she says, I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. In verse 16, I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. You see this heaviness that she brings. And she's having this moment with the Lord. And I do want to point out to you guys that the Bible tells us that she was kind of moving her lips, but she wasn't speaking. And the Bible says that she was praying in her heart. And I just want us to understand that God knows what's going on. He hears our cry, but even the cries of our heart. He knows what's on our heart. And she's sort of whispering these things. Of course, Eli gets it all mixed up. And once he realizes what's going on and what she's praying for here in verse 17, he says, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. And in verse 18, it says um, that she went her way and she ended up eating something. Remember, she hadn't been eating. And then it also says that her face was no longer downcast. Now, as I'm sitting on this passage this week, and Lord, what do you want me to share? What do you want me to, to present to people that would be an encouragement to them? And I just think, I think there's a lot of people that can probably relate to things that are going on with Hannah. You know, you're walking through a circumstance, you're walking through something, that there's just a heaviness to it. There's a weightiness to it. Maybe something you're praying about and it just seems like it's not happening and it can't happen soon enough and you're waiting on God to show up and do something. And she comes to this tabernacle and the priest gets involved and, and he starts talking to her. And I, I, For me, this was actually encouraging as a pastor just read his response he didn't go go in peace and by the way i have a prophetic word you're going to have a child he didn't give her that he just says go in peace now that's a very direct thing go in peace but then the next thing he says he he just like palms up we've talked about that before he says may god grant what you're praying about he didn't say it's going to happen he just says "May, may god answer your prayer And for me as a pastor, I mean, I'm shepherding this congregation. And I was just sharing with Troy when we were praying before this service, I said, I feel like there is a lot going on in our congregation right now. People are are, are carrying a lot. And as somebody who loves this flock and wants to see things going well for you and that these things that you're carrying wouldn't be so heavy, I'm like, I wish I could just say, The Lord said that's going to go away by Tuesday. But that's not what I'm getting. But what I'm I'm sensing, what Eli said, I I want you to go with the peace of God as you walk through these circumstances. And I'm going to pray that God would work out this circumstance. I'm going to ask Him to do that as you pray about it. And as I read that, I'm like, what a calms-up thing to do. I mean, I don't have the power to change your circumstance, but God does. And so I can pray with you about that. And we can ask God to move upon that. Her countenance changed, and I think it's because He told her to go in peace. And if you've ever walked through something difficult and the supernatural peace of God enters into that situation, it changes everything. You know, Elkanah did this peace sacrifice, gave these things to his family, and even with the peace sacrifice, his own wife didn't have peace. She was struggling. She couldn't eat. She was weeping. And it wasn't until she was at the tabernacle and the priest said, go in peace, that she had that resolve, this supernatural peace that only God can bring into our lives that sort of steadies us. It steadies us. John MacArthur asks the question, what happened to her? That's a fair question. And to fully describe that, I mean, Philippians 4 talks about how the peace of Christ comes to us, but the Apostle Paul says, it surpasses understanding. So I can't fully deliver to you, like, here's how it works, guys. When God does this, even the Apostle Paul said, it surpasses understanding. When God gives you a peace, even though you're walking through very difficult things. Why was she no longer sad? Her circumstances hadn't changed. She still had no baby, but things changed for her that day at the tabernacle. And MacArthur says he feels that things changed for her because she cast her cares upon the Lord. She was there pouring out her heart lips moving, well, the cries of her heart were being lifted to the Lord. And in Psalm 55, verse 22, the Bible tells us to cast our burden upon the Lord and He will sustain you. And He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. It doesn't mean that we're not going to go through shaky circumstances, but it means He's going to give us a peace that steadies our heart. And in First Peter 5, 7 The Bible says to cast all our anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Now, Peter was a fisherman. And when he would fish, it wasn't like a rod reel, one lure at a time. I mean, it was a net that you cast out over the water and it would land, right? And they'd bring in these fish, just hand over hand with that net, bring them into the boat. Now, you think about that. God has an invitation for us that whatever it is that is weighing on our heart, just as we were to cast something over onto the water, he's saying, I want you to cast your burdens onto me, and I'm going to sustain you. I'm going to give you the strength to walk through these things. If we look at verse 19, it says, Early the next morning they arose and they worshipped before the Lord. I think there's a strong encouragement and an example there for us that as we walk through the circumstances of life, even though the circumstances are still heavy, God does give us a peace, but you wake up the next morning, you get dressed, and you worship the Lord. And sometimes when we go through difficult circumstances, we actually remove going to worship with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ because it might be a little too hard or something. But they're like, we're still going to go to worship. We're going to worship together even though the circumstances are very difficult. Well, over time, Hannah is able to conceive And she names this child Samuel. And Samuel's name means heard by God. God remembered her, answers that prayer. And there's no doubt that Hannah would probably tell her son this story. Samuel, we prayed for you. Your dad, he didn't fully understand the weight on my heart. But I went to the tabernacle and I prayed. And the man that you're working with, Eli, he was there. He thought I was drunk. But I was pouring my heart out to the Lord. And he answered my prayer. He heard. And Samuel, you're a part of the equation now. And you're serving the Lord. As I told the Lord, I would dedicate you to him for your Service would be an honor and a glory unto God. John Maxwell says that Hannah prayed sincerely, specifically, and sacrificially, and she did not back away from her request, even when she was rebuked by an uncomprehending priest. And God rewarded her faith with the son Samuel. And when the time would come for her to keep her word and give Samuel For service unto the Lord, she did so with a thankful heart. This was a gift from God. Prayer changed the course of Hannah's life and impacted an entire nation. And we're going to unpack that as the weeks go on, how Samuel is used in the nation of Israel. God used her son in a key role as prophet during the lifetime of King David and, of course, King Saul. And his influence outlived him as he gave great impetus to prophetic movement. And God also blessed Hannah with many other children, proving once again his delight in the faith and the persistence of his people. Now, one question that I read in a study Bible was this. Would Samuel have been born if Hannah had not asked God to give her a son? I can't dogmatically say yes or no on that. But I do think that we have this example in Scripture of that when things are weighing on our heart, we bring them before the Lord. The Bible does tell us we have not because we ask not. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but it feels like we ask and we ask and we still have not, have not, but yet we're trying to ask and we're trying to be people of faith. Lord, I believe that this could happen, but that's where I go back and say, in the Lord's timing, He'll do what He's going to do. And if it isn't exactly what you're wanting, understand that what He is accomplishing comes with a great purpose. He knows. He is sovereign to do what would bring Him the most glory. In verse 21 through 28, we see Samuel's dedication. And after he's weaned, and mothers in this room here in the 21st century, it's not a nine-month thing... (laughs) for kids back at this time. It's like a three-year deal. He's finally weaned, ready to be brought to the temple. And they bring this sacrifice that would fulfill a vow that included the the bull and flour and a, a skin of wine. They brought it to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And she tells Eli, I'm the gal who was here a few years ago praying for a son. Now, I'm sure Eli saw thousands of people. But she remembers that moment with great clarity. I'm the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. She says, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. And then Hannah begins to unpack this prayer and I opened the service with it but focusing in on our verse this week 1 Samuel 2 verse 2 she says there is no one holy like the Lord there is no one besides you and there is no rock like our God remember the peace that she experienced in the midst of the desire she had on her heart I like the word rock because there is a significance of the foundation that a rock brings in our life. And God steadies us in the midst of the things that we walk through. So I ask this question of all of us in response today, is there anything that you are carrying that you need to cast onto the Lord? Is there anything that's weighing on you? Scripture says, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Another question is this. Is there any area of barrenness in your life that only God can bring the miracle? It's okay to ask for these things. So we pray, we ask him. And my response to you right now as you consider these things is it's my desire that we go in peace and that God would answer the prayers of His people as you lift these things to Him. I'm going to give us an opportunity here to individually lift these things to the Lord here just in a moment of prayer and silence together as you share whatever it is that's on your heart to the Lord. And then I'll lead us in closing. Here with prayer. Would you pray with me right now? Father, I thank you for this message regarding Hannah's life and the testimony of your peace at work. And Lord, even the answer to her prayers, providing this miracle. And Lord, as I ask the question, is there anything that we're carrying? that we need to hand over to you? Or is there any area of barrenness that that you can bring life to? Lord, as we reflect on that, we lift our hearts to you. Please hear our prayers as we share them to you. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. Lord, the greatest need in our life is a spiritual need. And it's possible there might be somebody that's listening that is spiritually barren and is in need of new life in Christ. If there's an individual that would desire to receive Jesus today, I want to lead you in that response, but I want you to understand the gospel. That God desires a relationship with you. He wants to give you new life. You don't have to be spiritually barren. Sin causes our life to be dead. The Bible tells us that we've all sinned and we all fall short of God's glory and we can't earn our way into heaven. We, we can't just try to be a good person and maybe God will accept us. But we come to God in our brokenness, in our barrenness, and we ask Him to redeem us. And Jesus came to this earth to pay the penalty and the price of sin. And when he rose again, it proved that his payment truly is the payment that redeems people from sin. There is power in his blood that was shed for you. And by grace, you can put your faith in Christ, and he will give you new life. And if you desire that today, I encourage you to just simply pray with me in your heart and say, Jesus, I want new life. Please save me. Please forgive me of my sin. Please make me new. Today by grace I receive you as my Lord and Savior and I ask that you would use me to accomplish your purposes and help me to serve in your kingdom and that my life wouldn't be about me but that it would be all about you. Thank you for this gift today. I put my faith and trust in you. Lord, as we close this time of reflection and the things you're speaking upon our hearts, Lord, I ask that you would help us to go in peace. And Lord that you would also answer the prayers of the things that are on our hearts. We lift this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.